Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. One of the president's ride-or-die defenders is legal advisor Jenna Ellis. It's such a political prosecution and a political persecution. Quote. This to me is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. It's revisionist originalism. Tolerance just isn't a two-way street with the Democrats. And I think that tells you all we need to know. Newsmax contributor and former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Well, good morning and welcome to the very first inaugural episode of Jenna Ellis in the Morning. I am Jenna Ellis and I am so excited to be with you here in the mornings and start your day off with a biblical worldview perspective of the issues that are facing our day. And so I wanted to take this first episode to say thank you to the American Family Radio Network and everyone who has been so excited for the launch of this show to get to know me and my perspective and what we're going to do together on this show because it's so important as Christians and as conservatives to understand how to analyze the world in which we live. One of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, talks about the reality to which God presents us. And so as we analyze and participate in our culture and in politics, we have to first start with a biblical worldview and understand objective truth and then build up our worldview from there. So I'm Jenna Ellis. A lot of you know that I am an attorney. I was a former senior legal advisor and counsel to the 45th president of the United States, Donald J. Trump. Uh, But outside of that, of course, we we all uh, know each other from maybe one particular point. You may know me from my work for President Trump or from my representation of Pastor John MacArthur, who will actually join us on the program later this week. Uh, but of course, everyone is a lot more multifaceted and we come from a background. We have a lot of things that the law will call basic assumptions and basic understanding of our worldview. And of course, we need to finally tune that to biblical truth. So I want to give you a bigger perspective of who I am and where I have come from to reach this point to join you today in the conversation and every morning at 7 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Eastern. And whether you are starting your morning, you're just getting to work, you're just uh, tuning in and how we can look at all of the issues that are facing us today. So Uh, I started out uh, as, of course, as a Christian very, very young, and uh, a lot of you may know that I was homeschooled all the way through. That was an amazing blessing in my life to have my parents uh, not only be my teachers and my mentors, but truly disciple me in the biblical worldview framework. So I started from a very young age having a perspective of the reality to which I was learning and growing and presented from a biblical truthful perspective. Uh, My mom was incredibly wise to begin reading the Bible to us, uh, my, my brothers and I. My older brother and I uh, grew up together, and then my much younger brother, who is uh, now in college, he's amazing, Uh, Tyler, he's so great. My older brother, David, and I uh, went through the Bible together, and my mom first read it out loud, starting from Genesis in the very beginning, 
all the way through to Revelation. And of course, we started out with the living Bible translation that's more story form so that we could really, as young people and as children, understand that and understand that the Bible isn't just stories. The Bible is truth. It's the revealed, inerrant, sufficient, whole word of God. And it tells us how we ought to live as Christians. And so growing up, I understood as a worldview, as a framework, as a lens to understand the world with which I was presented, that truth is objective. It's certain, it's fixed, and truth is the person of God himself. So we can look at truth as the things of God and anything that is inconsistent with the nature and the person of God is then non-truth. And we have to, as the scripture teaches us, rightly divide scripture, rightly divide truth from error, and make sure that we are always living according to the truth of the word of God and making sure that as we continue on our Christian journey, And in our lives, we are fulfilling the Great Commission. That is the whole purpose and the central focus of the Christian life to come into a saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and then to share that truth with others on our journey in life. And so as we have a center and a foundation of truth, Then we work our way upward and we develop our own gifts and talents that God has given us and we put those to use in the world with which he presents us. And so I developed a passion and love of law when I was uh, very young and so homeschool also gives you the opportunity and uh, really the privilege as a young student um, to to try out a lot of different things, to see what are your skills and talents, what are you uh, in aptitude the best fit for. And I loved law, not just from a perspective of how law works and functions in society, but how it ultimately meets out God's justice in our civil society. So as I went to law school, Uh, I was, of course, a very solid Christian at that point and understood what we just talked about, which is that truth is self-evident, as our founders uh, wrote very plainly in the Declaration of Independence, and that our society needed to function according to the word of God. As Micah 6, 8 says, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. That is the purpose of civil society as God has ordained it, is to make sure that we promote the truth, which is to make sure that every person has the best opportunity of the blessings of liberty in our society to move forward in truth and to pursue and understand who God is. And so this is the framework, actually, of our uh, First Amendment and of our entire Constitution, what I like to call our first freedoms, which are the freedom of speech, Uh, freedom of association, and free exercise of religion. This is what we're doing together right now, which is speaking together about truth. We need to be able to exercise those truths freely. 
And because we can exercise those truths freely, then we can pursue liberty, we can pursue the blessings of liberty, and decide for ourselves and our family how to best live according to the truth of the Word of God. This is a wonderful blessing that our founders gave to us. So as I went to law school with this perspective and the understanding and the knowledge of truth, then I was confronted in law school with a system that's taught as completely arbitrary. And what law school unfortunately teaches most future lawyers is that law is simply whatever society and its government system says is legitimate. And so if we have a Congress, if we have a president who can issue executive orders, if we have a judicial branch that arbitrates disputes and determines the interpretation of law, then we are subject to simply whatever they say is truth, whatever they determine is the difference between right and wrong. So let's take the example of abortion. Pre-1975, or 1973 rather, of Roe versus Wade, then we had a system where we were debating um, the issue of abortion regulation. Then when the Supreme Court said abortion is the law of the land and that is okay, there was an implicit moral designation because the Supreme Court allowed that and our society allowed that. But we know as Christians that the law ultimately is higher and has an objective, measurable truth that is beyond just what the Supreme Court or the Congress or a president or our state and local leaders could say. They are under a higher law. They ultimately have to be confronted with and appeal to and be consistent with moral truth. So our system of government and any sort of society is always under God's full truth. And when we look at our society in this lens and we understand that, then we know, we know that law isn't arbitrary. Law is fixed and it's the eternal law of God that we have to be consistent with. So as I struggled with some of these questions in law school and the way that law was taught as totally arbitrary and we can only appeal to our government system and whatever they say, then morality flexes and bends with the will of our government. That caused me to pause and say, wait a minute, as a Christian, as a Christian, I know that that's not true. So how do I develop an argument for not only morality that is objective and fixed in the eternal truth of God, but that I can argue this in a courtroom. I can argue this in front of Congress. I can argue this in front of our legal system and our government in a way that doesn't require me to say, well, first I'm a Christian and therefore... Now, as Christians, we would say, of course, well, as a Christian, we need to be able to argue that. But our secular society and our increasingly, increasingly pluralistic, post-truth, post-modern society will reject that and say, if I don't believe in God, then what does your opinion matter? 
So we have to have an argument that is self-sufficient as our founders recognized self-evident truth. So that was my determination after law school was taking everything that I learned about law school and trying to fit that into an argument that was the explanation of the legitimate morality of truth and develop it in a way that was legally viable. So in 2015, I ended up writing a book called The Legal Basis for a Moral Constitution. And of course, this is my first time trying to write a book, and I didn't realize that most books are uh, one or two word titles, so you can remember them like, you know, triggered or uh, something that's just a, a, a very, very easy title. But to me, that explained what I was trying to do. So the title is The Legal Basis for a Moral Constitution. And this set forth the argument, really, that all law functions in society to determine what society recognizes as truth. We can't escape the fact that all law is inherently moral. It just depends on whose morality are we talking about. And we're going to continue that conversation because that question of whose morality determines the law in our society That is generally the question and the basic implicit assumption of all of the things that we analyze in our culture. So we have to, as Christians, be much more sufficient and proficient in the word of God, in rightly dividing truth from error, so that then we can move forward and analyze how do we apply rightly our law to society. Because as Christians, we have to be confronted every day with our society and with the jobs that we go to. Some of you are on the way to work right now for the first day of the new year. And we will have to confront all of these issues, whether it's in education, it's in politics, it's in Uh, psychology, it's in medicine, it's in construction, it's in business, it's in philosophy, um, it's in everything that we do. So how do we live Christianly in society? And those are the conversations that we're going to have every day in the morning on Jenna Ellis in the morning. And as we come back from this first break, I want to continue this conversation from a political perspective and why it's so important that Christians are engaged in politics, how we understand the U.S. Constitution, how we rightly divide truth from error. And I also want to take your calls. So if you have a question, you can call in 888-589-8840. I'm Jenna Ellis, and this is Jenna Ellis in the Morning.
Will you help us send persecuted Christians around the world exactly what they're praying for? And that's a Bible to be able to endure and persevere. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International. It wasn't too long ago that I was in Indonesia, the largest Muslim-majority country in the world, where a local evangelical church was introducing Muslims to Jesus Christ. They want people not to just go to church, but to really understand who Jesus is. That's why they started to go from house to house, door to door. They lovingly shared the gospel. But this happened. Because they didn't like it, they started to throw bombs to the church. People threatened to kill them. But persecuted believers, they love their enemies and they count it all joy to suffer for the Lord Jesus. They didn't give up because they know that God will be there for them. Help us bless persecuted believers with their very own copy of the Bible by the end of January at $5 a Bible, $100 since 20. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or give at sendbiblesnow.org. Send BiblesNow.org. This is Pause to Pray. A chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for John Roberts, Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. As Chief Justice, he has significant influence over case selection, leads case discussion, and can choose who writes the court opinions. Psalm 33.5 reminds us of the importance of justice. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Right now with this in mind, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask for guidance for Chief Justice John Roberts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. A nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. Take advantage of the warmer weather and come explore Liberty University's campus, ranked number four best college campus in America by niche.com. Join us for Experience LU, an all day event that shows off our dorm rooms, classrooms, and award winning dining hall. Or, if you're short on time, attend a four-hour student-led campus tour to hit the highlights. To learn more or schedule your visit to Liberty University, text VISITLU to 49596. Again, that's VISITLU to 49596. If you send your kid to public university, there's a good chance he's going to return home as a flag-burning communist. That's according to a new study from North Dakota State University. They asked liberal students and conservative students about their opinions on America. 73% of conservatives say they are proud to be an American, but liberals, well, not so much. 57% of the leftist children said they're ashamed of our nation, ashamed of the land of the free. The percentages shocked even the professors who conducted the study. Past surveys showed that most Americans were proud to be American, regardless of their political affiliation. North Dakota State also found liberal students believe there should be crackdowns on free speech and only 9%, 9% favored capitalism. Only 13% oppose socialism. So here's what's going on. Socialists are using our tax dollars to fundamentally transform our nation from the home of the brave to the home of the woke. I'm Todd Starnes. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning. I'm Jenna Ellis, and already time is flying so much. And thank you for joining me for this program each and every weekday morning. 
at 8 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Central. And if you want to call in and have a conversation, the phone number is 888-589-8840. And so we were talking before the break about um, the overall perspective of how law moves and functions in society. And uh, my revelation as a student in law school of how the law uh, really works in society to ultimately, if it's legitimate, evidence God's truth and fulfill the institution of civil society that God has ordained by enacting truth through justice in our society. So, of course, God has ordained three spheres of government that we see in Scripture, which is the civil society government, the church government, and the family government. Uh, Those are all three spheres that are given limited, legitimate authority from God himself. So we are all under, ultimately, God's authority. And we recognize that as Christians, of course, uh, in the church setting. Hopefully we recognize that in the family setting, if we are uh, parents and spouses and sons and daughters, Uh, living according to truth, we recognize that in family. But do we recognize that in society? Well, our secular culture would tell us, no, 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 don't push your morality on me. Hey, that's your truth. I have my own truth. But if we separate ourselves and divorce ourselves from God's truth, or we allow our society to function separate and apart from God's truth, we become an illegitimate society. And so this is why we have to, as Christians, engage in our civil society. We have to be active citizens in our government. And here in America, in the United States of America, with all of the blessings of liberty, we have a wonderful constitution that is built on the foundation of the mandate of the Declaration of Independence that requires our government to recognize that truth is self-evident, that we as human beings are all created in the image of God, have inherent dignity and worth, and that our rights come from God, our creator, not our government. So it's the sole purpose, the sole legitimate purpose of government to preserve and protect those rights. And so I could say that, that of course God gave us our rights and all human beings are made in God's image in any society across any time and space across human history. And I would be right because that is the eternal truth of God. But in a secular society that was formed outside of and not in accordance with the truth of God, then it would be a lot more difficult in those societies. Like if we look at some of the other types of civil societies and government structures, even across the globe today, Or if we look at across world history, what types of government systems have eroded or infringed upon our God-given rights as human beings. That's what our founders meant by their unalienable. They are so intrinsic to our humanity that they are part of who we are. They can't be separated from us. I love how Thomas Jefferson, who loved property rights, termed that term, unalienable rights. It means that they can't be bought, sold, abridged, or infringed. They are so much part of us, part of our identity, part of our human nature, and as human beings made in the image of God, that it is incumbent upon our government 
to first obligate itself to preserve and protect those rights. So we as Christians here in the United States of America have a very unique blessing and also in turn duty and obligation to be part of our civil society, be part of we the people. Because first remember, we the people, that three words that is a beautiful opening of our constitution, those three words were after three other words that I think are even more important. This unanimous declaration. Our Declaration of Independence is the worldview statement of our American society. So we have an obligation to be engaged because our founders allowed us the privilege and the opportunity to select and prefer our leaders from among us. No one in this country is entitled to office through heritage or conquest like we've seen many other governments rise and fall. We the people get to lead our society, but we have to do so under God. That is why our national motto still, even in Joe Biden's America, is one nation under God. So as we look at our Constitution, we have to first start with the question, what limited specific powers does our highest law of the land give to our three different branches? And in understanding why our founders limited and separated powers, then we understand how our system of government is supposed to operate. Because, um, so my, my dad is literally a rocket scientist, right? So that's what he does is he works on satellites and other things. And that is a whole system, right? It's called systems operations. To be finely attuned to fulfill a goal, to go on a mission. It's mission operations and mission oriented. And that is exactly our system of government. So think of it like that. Our system of government needs to be so finely tuned that we can have a very clear trajectory toward our mission and our goal of our society, which our founders put in the Declaration of Independence to preserve and protect our rights. So the first question we always have to ask, and we will be asking on this show, is this action that a government agent is trying to take, is it within their limited specific power? If they can do that, then we have answered sufficiently the constitutional question. Yes, they can. Then we get to the policy question. The policy is all about should. Should is the essential moral question. Just because a government agent or specific branch can do something doesn't mean that they should. And often, so often, our politicians and our mainstream media want to confuse those questions. They want to say that because they don't think a government actor should do something, they can't. Or because they want the outcome, they say, oh, of course it's constitutional because I agree with it. So as conservatives, we need to take a step back and we need to recognize that our founders understood the human condition, that men are inherently evil, we are only saved by the grace of God, and so they separated powers on the federal level and also on the uh, vertical trajectory, federal, state, and also left some powers to we the people individually to pursue the blessings of liberty, how we want to 
for our families. We make the best decisions as parents um, in education as we can. We have a lot of freedoms that the government doesn't mandate or can't tell us what to do. They can't tell me that I have to or I can't be an attorney or that I have to or I can't be on media. These are freedoms that I'm exercising by choice because I'm pursuing God's best for me and my life in, of course, uh, prayer and consultation and making sure that I am in God's will for my life. But it's not for the government to tell me what God's will is for my life or for my family or for your life or for your family. So we have to always analyze the question, can the government, then we get to should the government. So as we continue in analyzing the issues of the day, and the next Congress is going to be sworn in tomorrow, they're going to select a Speaker of the House. Uh, My good friend and your good friend, Congressman Jim Jordan, is going to join us tomorrow ahead of that vote and what he anticipates. And we will talk about all of these things. But we have to remember two things, two very key things. What is the purpose of government? And the answer is to preserve and protect the rights that God gives. And second, can the government, before we answer, should the government? Okay, so let's get to your calls. First, we have Jim from Mississippi. You are on the air on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Good morning. Good morning, Jenna. Uh, congratulations in filling the magic slippers and magic microphone of Sandy Rios. Thank you so much. Uh, And congratulations to your parents for doing such a good job in preparing you for these opportunities. Thank you. They're Uh, listening right now, so I know they appreciate it. (laughs) They're great. I'm sure they do. Um, uh, You promote your uh, program by quoting uh, John Adams. And uh, he said that uh, our Constitution would only serve a moral and religious people and was wholly inadequate for that of any other. Yes. I was sitting in jury duty one day, and it profoundly hit me of what he said. There were about 100 people called in for jury. And I looked around, and I thought about all the resources that it took to bring all those people together, to have the security, the bailiffs, the judge, the clerks. And I thought, when the system gets overloaded and people aren't controlled with within, the system can't bear up to that load. It takes tremendous resources to serve due process, as you know. And that's the comment that I wanted to make. And it's just profound that if we don't understand that people have to be controlled from within or they'll have to be controlled from without. And if it's without, it's going to take a lot of resources to do it. And the Constitution will only bear up to so big of a load before it buckles. Mm, So well said, Jim. Thank you so much for your call and for jury duty, for uh, for your insights. And you are absolutely correct. And I love that quotation from uh, John Adams because it does do exactly what you just said, reminds us that as we have the blessing of liberty and 
this citizen-run government, then we have an obligation as conservatives and as patriots and as Americans to share the truth of the word of God so that our fellow Americans understand our standard of truth. And they understand that our society cannot function with this system that our founders gave if we are led by a subjective morality. Because if everyone is simply free to do whatever, as the Bible describes, is right in their own eyes, then we get to this chaos that we're observing today. The Supreme Court recently just heard arguments in the 303 Creative versus Alanis case, which, of course, was the website designer that uh, refused to create a custom website for a same-sex couple celebrating their quote-unquote marriage. And the questions at the Supreme Court are all about, well, where does the right of of religious freedom end and the rights of same-sex couples begin? And a lot of those questions. But the foundational question is, why do we as a culture even want to recognize so-called same-sex marriage? Why do we as a culture even want to recognize abortion? We as Christians need to not just try to make abortion and same-sex marriage illegal, but unthinkable. And that's what John Quincy Adams, of course, meant by our constitution was made only for a moral and upright people. Because our system, the way that it's designed with this very fragile state of liberty and freedom that has to be carefully passed from generation to generation recognizes that, as my good friend Oz Guinness says, freedom is not the ability to do whatever we want. Freedom is the ability to do what we ought. And I love, love, love that book. I'm in the middle of reading um, his book that is uh, Zero Point Nation, I think is what it's called. And it's, it's, it's very profound and it's amazing. All right, let's get to uh, hopefully one more caller before the break. Um, John from Texas. Thanks so much for calling in. You're on with Jenna Ellis in the morning. Hello? Hi, John. Hello. I'm driving, so I'm going to be try to be quick. Uh, I have like three questions. Okay. And your attorney for Trump, it might be helpful. Uh, we all know that our government today is corrupt. We know the officials that are corrupt, not just by social media, but by uh, videos that we see the corrupt government. People like Biden, for instance, admits on national TV that he bribed and extorted a government to fire a prosecutor that was investigating his son. And we now know that the FBI was involved in, in interfering with the election, among other things. We know that all the impeachment trials was just, you know, a bunch of lies. And we know there's a lot of fraud in it. Okay, so we know all that. We know the election was stolen, so to speak. So if we know all this, why can't Trump reinstate himself as a president that duly, was duly elected and did not lose? and have the military go in and start arresting these corrupt people that should be in jail already. Those two questions. Third question is, if, if there's not an answer for that, right? what do we, we do? The people have a right, we the people have a right to dissolve the government if it's corrupt. 
Right. And, and John, that is a great question and we are up against a hard break. And so those are all great questions that I get all the time. So at, when we come back on Jenna Ellis in the morning, I want to address that question. And of course, we have to first start out with, can Trump not just should he, because I think all of us agree that there were a lot of problems in uh, the 2020 election. There's a lot of problems in our government right now. So what do we do? We will be right back to answer Washington that Watch question. advances a culture where human life is valued and religious liberty thrives. Hello, this is Tony Perkins, host of Washington Watch right here on the American Family Radio Network, inviting you to join us each weekend for the weekend edition of Washington Watch for the latest from our nation's capital on what is happening as it pertains to faith, family, and freedom. You'll hear from policymakers, congressional leaders, and others each day, 4 p.m. Central Time. Be there. To sharpen the biblical worldview of Christians and to share the good news of Jesus Christ, that is the mission of the Christian Worldview Radio Program. I'm host David Wheaton, inviting you to join us this Saturday morning at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, as we discuss all matters of life and faith from a decidedly biblical perspective. The Christian Worldview, Saturday mornings at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, right here on American Family Radio. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Genesis 3 records for us the cataclysmic rebellion against God in the Garden of Eden. The entire episode, Eve's entertainment of the sensual lies of the talking snake, the deceptive twisting of God's word, all of it transpired with Adam standing right there. Adam was the one to whom God entrusted his word originally. Adam was the one God charged with cultivating and protecting the garden and his wife. Yet he stood there, silent. Men, let us not repeat Adam's sin of present absence. Stand on God's word and defend your gardens. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. In this new world, on this new day, we rejoice that Roe v. Wade has been overturned. Preborn has been preparing for this moment for the past 16 years by positioning their clinics in the top six abortion states where 50% of abortions occur. Sadly, five of these six states will continue to abort babies at an even greater level. And since the abortion pill accounts for over 50% of abortions, babies are even more at risk. Preborn pregnancy clinics are completely dependent on you as they offer life-saving ultrasounds and the life-saving gospel to moms and babies in crisis. When I heard her heartbeat, I decided to keep her. And now my daughter's about to be three. I don't know where my life will be without her. To learn how you can be a part of rescuing babies' lives and sharing the heart of Jesus, go to preborn.com or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning. I'm Jenna Ellis taking your calls at 888-589-8840. So incredibly excited to have this conversation and to be part of the American Family Radio Network and to start out your morning 
with speaking truth about all of the top trending headlines and why Christians have to be engaged in our culture and in our system of government and politics. Of course, Andrew Breitbart is very famous for saying that politics is downstream from culture, but I've started adding on to that by saying that culture is downstream from worldview. We have to make sure that our view of the reality to which God presents us is fully founded in the truth of the word of God and then work our way up to our political sphere, our church family, and our home and our family and our professions and everything that we do in society and in our daily lives. So the last caller, um, who thank you so much for that question, asked before the break, okay, we know that our government right now is corrupt. We know that there were shenanigans and uh, a lot of difficulties in the 2020 election. There are current outstanding appeals in Arizona for a Kerry Lake's gubernatorial election. So what do we do? And the question was, why can't Trump reinstate himself? Well, we have to go back to the U.S. Constitution first and foremost, because as conservatives, we are always conserving truth. We are conserving our rule of law, and we are making sure that we are not only holding the Democrats, the leftist liberals, everyone else to the highest law of the land, but that we are holding ourselves accountable to our highest law of the land as well. So the process of the Constitution does not give the ability for a reinstatement of a person to the office of the president. The only way that a sitting president can be removed from office is through the impeachment process that is described in Article 1. So, of course, everyone is very familiar with, and I worked on both impeachments of President Trump, so I'm very familiar with that, uh, you know, of course, as an attorney. Uh, that whole process of impeachment by Congress and then potential uh, removal after trial in the United States Senate. So what do we do when we deal with these uh, types of election integrity questions? Because we the people in this country, it is one of our rights, our God-given fundamental privilege and our right to select and prefer our leaders. So what happens when the process is so irredeemably compromised. Well, this is why Alexander Hamilton in Federalist 64 brilliantly described the process of selecting our chief magistrate, which was his term for the U.S. president. If you haven't read the Federalist Papers, I'd really encourage you to go and read those. It's basically a legislative history or an argument why three different lawyers, and you're familiar with all of them, our first Chief Justice, John Jay, Alexander Hamilton, a founding father, and James Madison, of course, another founding father, they all argued to their current uh, you know, fellow founders and to their current society in the formation of America for the ratification of the U.S. Constitution. The Anti-Federalists were concerned about certain things and they argued against the ratification. Of course, we know that our U.S. Constitution ultimately was ratified um, in, 19, in uh, 18, or 1787, rather, in 1787. And then we have amended our Constitution 27 times in our nation's history, but that is pursuant to how the Constitution describes that 
process in Article 5, right? So every time that we've amended our Constitution, it's been by process. Every time we have impeached a president, it has been through process. Now, we may disagree with the process as it took place and say, you didn't have a sufficient legal basis uh, to impeach Donald Trump. I argued that, right? But the process itself is what was described in Article 1. And then ultimately, uh, the U.S. Senate, through the first impeachment trial, uh, they looked at the evidence and they rightly proclaimed that Donald Trump was not guilty. And so he was not removed from office. And so we have to look at the process of the Constitution and how it is laid out for election integrity issues. And so what needs to happen, and I hope, and our good friend uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene has actually promised that the current Congress that will be sworn in tomorrow will file impeachment papers against Joe Biden and how that trajectory will go. Well, we'll talk about it on this show. Uh, but we we want to look at how the process functions. The only way that Joe Biden could be removed from office is through the impeachment process or, of course, a, a disability, um, according to the 25th Amendment, or or death or resignation, right? So those are the, really the only four constitutional ways that a president is removed. There is no process by which a president is reinstated. So what do we do about election integrity? Well, the states are responsible. The state legislatures are responsible for not only crafting election law in their states, but also to hold accountable the executive office and the election officials to properly administer the elections. And so what I've been advocating for over the last two years is for state legislatures to have legislation that would have an expedited process to challenge the results of an election and have kind of what we would term in, in the law a rocket docket to say we can have an expedited process for election challenges that give candidates standing in court a hearing on the merits, and provide a remedy. We need to do that. And if you want more a more robust conversation, I also have a podcast that's called The Jenna Ellis Show. You can find that at thejennaellisshow.com. And uh, the week before Christmas, I think it was actually the Wednesday before Christmas, I have a great conversation with another attorney in um, the analysis of the Carrie Lake trial. And we talk through all of this. So if you want more robust conversations, one-on-one, on interviews. Also listen to my podcast. You can find that at thejennaellisshow.com or anywhere you stream. We're also on Rumble. So let's get to a few other calls here. I'm so, so thankful that all of you are joining me today and you're listening into the Jenna Ellis in the morning show. So Steve from Iowa, thank you so much for joining me and you are on with Jenna Ellis in the morning. Hello. Hi, Steve. Hi. Yeah, thank you for taking over. You're fantastic. <clears throat> we have a very, very intelligent enemy, and they are attacking, first of all, our religion, Christianity, four C's. They are attacking the Constitution. They are attacking capitalism, and they are attacking our civilization and the 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 supreme of uh, intelligence of the opposition is to look at our strengths and find ways to turn them into weaknesses. 
and they have done that with the Constitution, and you're so good at this, to explain mootness and how they have kept all of the cases out of the court by declaring them as moot because there is no standing. Yeah. Yeah. And thanks for that comment, Steve. And and it is so frustrating and why I recommend that state legislatures provide that kind of rocket docket or that expedited process, because let's just take Carrie Lake's situation, for example. Uh, Part of her claims, the judge ultimately said, well, the doctrine of latches, which basically means you should have brought this earlier, that applied to some of her claims. So they said you can't bring it before the election, then said, well, now uh, the elections occurred. And so, sorry, it's too late. So the, the question remains, well, then when can we effectively and competently challenge election integrity questions? There has to be a process because otherwise the judicial branch is denying our constitutionally protected right to petition the government for redress of grievances. That is the fifth right that is protected in our First Amendment. So we not only have freedom of speech, freedom of association, free exercise of religion, and freedom of the press, but we also have the right to petition our government. And so when they are saying, well, latches applies before a an election, and then sorry, it's all mooted out after an election because sorry, uh, that's just the way that it is, then we are not able to effectively petition our government. That absolutely needs to change. So thank you, Steve, for that conversation. Let's go to Donna in Texas. Thank you so much for calling in, Donna. And you are on with Jenna Ellis in the morning. Hi, who is this? Hi, Donna. Oh, hi, I'm sorry. I just wanted to say that welcome, welcome. You are filling her shoes already and this mic already. So glad to have you and just keep doing what you're doing. And I'm going to continue to learn from you. I've learned from you this morning and I will be singing your praises and getting folks to listen, getting folks to listen because you're singing my song. We Christians have to realize how politics touches every area of our lives. It governs our lives. So why would we not be salt and light there as well as everywhere else? So that's really all I wanted to say. Thank you so much. I, for 2023, I said I'm going to listen to uh, talk radio maybe for about an hour, maybe two throughout the day because I went overboard in 22 because I was learning (laughs) so much. In 23, I'm going to be, you're going to be one of my hours for sure. Thank you. Well, call in frequently, Donna, and you are a kindred spirit, and I so appreciate your encouragement and your admonition that we as Christians do need to make sure that we are daily encouraging each other how we can stand for truth. We can have these conversations and learn from each other. So I hope I hear from you often, Donna. And thank you to everyone who has said um, what, what Donna has said as well on this wonderful welcome. I am filling some amazing shoes of my good friend, Sandy Rios. And uh, she actually sent me an email last night that I want to read to you that said, have fun tomorrow. 
The early mornings are not so bad once you get used to them, smiley face. They are, in fact, beautiful. Here's to a long and successful radio career. So um, thank you so much to Sandy Rios, and she has just been a wonderful uh, champion and mentor and encourager uh, for me to take over this hour, and I'm very grateful um, to follow in her footsteps and to continue to promote this conversation among Christian conservatives because we this is why we gather together so that we can encourage one another in truth and how to live biblically and rightly and engage our culture for Christ. So thank you so much, Donna. Let's go to uh, Tian, I think is how I'm pronouncing your name. Correct me if I'm wrong, from Miami. Thanks so much for joining. You're on with Jenna Ellis in the morning. Yes, good morning, Jenna, very quickly. Um, after listening to my pastor, I mean, who I really, really love and respect, but like a lot of Christians, by the way, my name is Tian. Um, Tian, thank you. Uh, you know, yes. Um, there seems to be this pervading attitude that getting involved in the, let's just say, the culture wars or political, you know, po- being politically engaged or being responsive to the things of the culture is a waste of time for us Christians and that this really isn't a Christian nation anyway and Jesus is coming soon. So that's just, you know, just, I mean, yes, I believe in sharing the gospel, but I just can't, I just cannot, you know, forget this quote, Edmund Burke, you know, for all of what it takes for evil to triumph is for good men to just sit and do nothing. Mm. I am very curious, you know, if you've ever encountered attitudes from people that, you know, from pastors, you know, oh, like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and I love Edmund Burke, and that is a very timely quotation. And, uh, yeah, I encounter that all the time. And people who are saying, you know, well, we as Christians just need to be focused on our citizenship that's in heaven rather than our citizenship here on earth or politics is too dirty or, you know, I am a pastor and so my only job is to teach the gospel. Well, yes, your job is to teach the gospel of Christ, but you have to be able to do that in a free society. That's why our founders uh, enumerated the free exercise of religion. That term exercise means to be active, not just to uh, sit and, and have in our minds our beliefs in our hearts, but we have to be quiet about it. We can freely exercise our faith, not just within the four walls of our churches or our homes, but also in civil society. And so for the pastors who would say, I just want to focus on heaven. Well, God has placed you here on earth for a purpose and to take as many people to heaven with us as possible. And in order to fulfill the Great Commission, which is to teach the things of truth until Jesus comes back or calls us home, we all must be doing that in our daily lives. We have to continue to cultivate a society and a government that continues to protect that privilege and freedom, not just in the culture, but also within our church. I represented Pastor John MacArthur, who was attacked and his church was almost closed. We'll talk about that more. So we are already out of time for the first show. Jenna Ellis in the morning. Thank you so much to all of the other callers that we didn't get to, Tom and Dory and Chris. Please call tomorrow. We will be here Monday through Friday. My good friend Jim Jordan is going to be on the program. Eric Metaxas, John MacArthur. I'm Jenna Ellis in the morning. 
I will see you tomorrow morning. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.